0: Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Still processing, Bruce. Still in a pretty down mood. I have been uh, ever since game four, the game four result. I mean, the last two games were just so brutal, brutal way to lose the hockey to, you know, two hockey games in the third period um, like that. Uh, Just really hard to take really hard to process. And I'm trying not to, I've made a few snap judgments already. I've come down pretty hard on Dave Tippett, Um, but that wasn't so much. Honestly, that wasn't to be fair to myself. That wasn't so much a snap judgment as something that had been bothering me you know, the decision to break up that line had been bothering me since the decision the moment it was made. And um I'd been talking about it and I just think the chickens came home to roost on it, honestly, Bruce. I think the, the owners Tippett got what he asked for in terms of the performance of those two lines. I think it was completely foreseeable. I was hoping for better, but it never better never came in terms of the performance of the top two lines. And um uh, I just I have a hard time getting past. Like, I, aside for the fact, I, I'd have a harder time getting past that if Tippett didn't make so many good calls all season long, including putting that dry settle Yamamoto Nugent Hopkins line together. But man, I needed to see that line in the playoffs. And, and it just, it's, I just find it crushing still, Bruce. <laughs> if I'm completely honest, I still find it crushing that we never saw that line until the very, very end. And they just play so well together. And uh, McDavid never has... It, even with Settle or Mc, Nugent Hopkins, McDavid's always more of a soloist. And I think you need to plan his line around that aspect of him rather than try to to build a different kind of line. And uh, I think you could have got... What you got out of McDavid without giving him Nugent Hopkins, you would have got the same performance out of him, which was pretty good. Uh, but you just took away... You took away Drysaddle and Yamamoto and Nugent like the the most they could offer, which I think would have been enough to beat Chicago. Um, so I really, I know this isn't focused on by many other, the pundits or the people writing in the media, but for me, it is a main focus and it's the one area where I uh, kind of bear a bit of a grudge. I'll try to get over it though. Bruce, we're going to talk about the draft. We're not going to, we're going to talk about the draft lottery today. Yeah. And we're going to talk about, uh, Kurt Levin's uh, excellent nine things post today. Uh, before we get into that, any any thoughts about what I just said? Like he, I, I ranted a bit there, so I'll give you the same opportunity.
1: Well, I mean, we went into the the concern before was McDavid uh, uh, playing with wingers that weren't up to his caliber, and that certainly was a, a concern. While in the uh, playoff series, uh, they went with Leon with. Uh, Two wingers that were in the $800,000 salary range, you know, and so he was uh, trying to carry that line and uh, uh, had his moments. They had their moments as a line, but they didn't really—they weren't really difference makers the way the dynamite line had been. And I share your discomfiture uh, at the at the breakup of that trio. I just—I I frankly just don't understand. A, why it happened, and B, why it took until the, the last half of the third period of the last game to even try to go back to it, and that just that just leaves me shaking my head.
0: Yeah, we're on the same page. Yep, on that one. We, we are on the same page, because I think that could have been the a, a difference maker, honestly, in the series. I think it would have given the Blackhawks all kinds of ongoing trouble at even strength, mm-hmm. and... Um, but it put them on their heels in a way they never were, having that line out there every third or fourth shift. <sighs> so anyway, I, it's hard. Like, when I think of the series, I think of two things. Like, it was still a close series despite all of this. And I think it oh, was yeah. so many weird goals and balances <clears throat> could have gone either way. So so I'll give the orders that. But I don't think this, this series had to be as – didn't have to be that series. And I wonder if it wouldn't have been if from day one we had uh, seen a different uh, – Lineup from the Oilers.
1: Yeah, well, okay. the fancy the fancy stats actually favored Edmonton. Other than Game One, where they clearly deserved to lose by every measure, uh, Games Two, Three, and Four, Edmonton had uh, the better of play in uh, all of the underlying stats. Uh, there was um, uh, one one of the top uh, uh, one of the top uh, fancy stats sites. Uh, Oh, who the heck was it? I retweeted it yesterday. Showed that in a category called expected goals, which is this is what you would expect the goals to be based on the flow of play. That of the 16 play-in teams, Edmonton was number one and by a good margin for expected goal differential. Right. Vegas was ahead of them. And... uh um, wait, Colorado. This, what, what Colorado first... was just behind expected goals.
0: For for what though? For the regular for the, season? For, for
1: the four playoff games that they play for the playoffs.
0: Play Jerry oh, so you're including Vegas in their Well he
1: the, the, the stat included the all the the seating Ex- games plus the play in games. I'm saying chuck the seeding games because I don't think they're yeah. that important.
0: No, they're not. Yeah, okay. So of the sixteen yeah, play in
1: gotcha. teams, Edmonton was number one. Of the twenty four mm-hmm. teams total, Edmonton is number two. And so when Chicago was way down at the other end of the spectrum, and they got the gold, Edmonton created the chances, but they couldn't finish the chances or uh, more to the point Chicago finished way more of their chances than you would expect. And uh, that was... uh, um. The nature of the beast. Now, I don't think that that stat's the be-all and end-all. I don't think uh, expected goals considers how many shots were deflected by Edmonton's own players against their own goalie, stuff like that. Like, there was some, certainly some, some, uh, some of the misfortune that the Oilers encountered was of their own doing. Let's put it that way. But uh, I'm not at all convinced that the better team won that series.
0: I think by our own count, the Oilers had 62 grade-A chances, Bruce. Mm-hmm. And the Blackhawks had 48. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty significant advantage for the Oilers in grade-A chances. Right. Um, and we include posts, like uh, post shots in that, like in our own stat. We're including when Chicago hit the post and from the slot area. And, and would you know, that was a, a grade-A chance in our books for them. And some of the sites, I don't know if they do or not. But anyway, we do – and that, that is, that's a significant difference, um, advantage for the Oilers, and, you know, that almost works out like the percentages are almost out up to 100%, so it's like the Oilers are like 60-40 almost, or whatever it was there. Anyway, yeah. not to be. Bruce, all of this strange and twisted path leads the Oilers in this weird position that I was never excited about where they would have this 12.5 chance of getting Alexis Lafreniere in the draft yeah. this year. So the orders look like they're going to draft around, you know, 20 21 22 depending on where they finished in the playoffs too. Is that how is that how it's set? How far you go in the playoffs or is that just for the Stanley Cup champion?
1: Yeah, it gets, it gets reorganized, but based on them being, uh, based on them, on their regular season standing without any adjustments, they were right around number 20. And then it yeah. would have, if it had been like a normal playoffs, it would have been up or down from there, but it would only have been significantly down if Edmonton had, you know, gone to the finals or won the cup. Okay. Uh, whereas now, uh, they've shifted up into the non-playoff team category, so into the, the top 15, and they have, just the way the lottery worked out, there's one pick that still hasn't been determined and of course that's number one overall. So the eight teams that all get knocked out, which we know seven of them and the loser of tonight's Toronto-Columbus game will join them, each will have the identical 12.5% odds. So at least they didn't weight those odds, they just gave everybody the same. And so Edmonton has a 12.5% chance of the number one pick. Uh, they have a 12.5% at the number 15 pick, which would they would get only if Pittsburgh won the lottery, because only Pittsburgh, of the, of the play-in losers, had a better record than the Oilers. So Pittsburgh wins the lottery, Edmonton moves down one spot. Otherwise, there's a 75% chance that they're going to be picking 14th overall. So I think that's sort of reasonably what we should be expecting, uh, while holding out some uh, malign hope that... Uh, lottery ball bingo ball will come up in Edmonton's favor again and cause heads to explode across the hockey universe
0: when you uh (laughs) we were talking earlier today on the phone about this and like the first thing that kind of kind of broke through my depressed fog as an Oilers fan right now was the notion that the Oilers might win the lottery and and it wasn't the idea of um heads exploding Bruce (laughs) it was it's just the thought well First of all, it's a thought they could get Alexis Lafreniere, absolutely, which is a very exciting thought. And I know that yeah, heads will explode, but Bruce, I personally think there's a kind of rough justice if the Oilers are the Penguins, and I'm hoping for this now. Like before, um, I had been thinking that it would be a bit, might be a bit embarrassing for the Oilers to win, but I hadn't really put my, I, I didn't know what I was going to feel until the Oilers lost and now they're in this position. And you know what, Bruce, I didn't whine one bit about i accepted the nhl's explanation for the playoffs and the way they did it mm-hmm. and I, I i didn't i know a lot of fans were outraged and continue to be and i and i ex- yep. and i get that and i you and both you and kurt Levins are in that camp and i completely get yep. that but i wasn't in that camp oh, i no, accepted what the nhl yeah, did. i accepted what they did and so what you know what if the order's the other part of that, part of me accepting that was the the thought, well, if the Oilers lose, they'll be in the lottery and they have a chance to get the top pick. That's the deal. Mm-hmm. So I think, hey, good if the Oilers win this, that's the deal. And I'm not I'm not gonna well,
1: just they like miss I, the playoffs, right?
0: That's right. They missed the playoffs. Right. And uh, according to the NHL's thing, they deserve to be in this lottery now. And they're in it. And if they win it, great. Um, I don't think people should whine about it. Like suck it up. Because um, oiler fans have to suck it up, we had to suck it up that the Oilers were um, playing a team in Chicago that really didn't have the right to be there by by some standards, by a lot, you know, by okay. the standard of the regular regular season standards. So we sucked that up. We we accepted the consequence. Well, now here it's time for everybody else. So you know, sh- <laughs> S- <laughs> shut the f up. If the Oilers win, it is my position because. Um, such is life. This is the, this is the COVID NHL. Uh, it's a little bit weird. It's a little bit wonky. But if the, the, the Penguins or the Oilers win it, good. Um, they deserve it. Just that under this, under this system, under this weird system, they deserve it. Just like the Penguins got, was it Crosby in 2000? Who did they get? Uh,
1: 2005 when they had the complete draft was done by lottery. After yeah. the last lo- season. Is and they, drafted, they did a lottery right across the entire league, and lo and behold, Pittsburgh got number one. Well, um, they used it, you know, more power to them.
0: And what's we'll your, see. What's mm-hmm. your take? What's your take on this whole thing?
1: Uh, well, I mean, obviously, to get that one in eight chance to come through for Edmonton would be another gift from the hockey guards. It would solve Edmonton's problem at top six left wing in a quick way, because I think... <laughs> Lafreniere is going to be there on whatever team he goes to. He's going to be on the team and in the top six immediately, on uh, you know on a nice bonus-laden contract, but still you know a very reasonable one for what he could be expected to produce. Uh, he's an exciting player. I watched him play multiple times at the uh, Linka Gretzky tournament two years ago. The one that should be going on basically right now. In uh, 2020, if if the universe had unfolded like it should, this year. Uh, anyway, he uh, he was very very impressive then, and he's just continued to build his uh, impressive credentials since then. Of course, he won a gold medal for Team Canada at the at the World Juniors this year, uh, and uh, produced uh, you know mighty splendid stats in the, in the Quebec League. Uh, he's according to most, he's the um, uh, you know, he's the shining star of the 2020 uh, draft class. I mean, some of them. There's uh, this guy Byfield that uh, some folks like as the number one, who's a close second. But it's it's basically you either you're picking in the in, in the top or you're picking in the middle of the round. That's basically the two situations for Edmonton. But if they win it, uh, if they win the lottery, well, you know. They were the one, to me, they were the one that got the most of the short end of the stick of the format when the NHL decided to basically throw out the regular season and instead uh, basically expand the playoffs by eight teams and expand the format. And, oh, yeah, let's do away with the divisional format. This is my real pet peeve. They've been playing divisional formats for years. Edmonton was second in the Pacific. And all of a sudden they had to... uh, Uh, get seeded by conference and they found a way to put them in fifth place and and having to play in. And, you know, they they lost. They got beat. But, you know, that's, uh, as you say, if that's uh, the nature of the beast, well, then I guess they belong in the lottery. And if they win it, well, so it goes. Heads will explode and mine won't.
0: No, neither will mine. I'll be really happy at this point. I thought, again, I thought I might be a little bit embarrassed by it. 'Cause we've won so many lotteries in the past. Uh, but that said, hey, such is life. S- sucks to be you if we win. <laughs> Not you, but uh, right. complaining fans from other teams, Leafs fans. Yes,
1: um here are other people complain. I've been doing enough of it myself over this whole schmall yeah,
0: And and if Toronto actually loses to Columbus, I'll feel the same way if they win the lottery. I'll be happy for Toronto. Like I think I oh. I, I actually kind of hope there's a little bit of rough justice here and that Pittsburgh that one of the better teams wins. Um, that Pittsburgh or Edmonton win it, or you know, because because that would be some justice here because there there was a little bit of injustice. I can see I see the point that people make. Like I get that. So um, I'm not saying they're not I'm not saying they're incorrect. I just I just think in hockey it's like it's mm-hmm. it's there's it's, there's an irrational aspect of being a hockey fan, and you kind of feel how you feel about things in in a very kind of tribal. Wait. so so right now, for instance, I'm thinking like I've never cheered for the Flames before, Bruce, never once. But I'm thinking for some reason, I think this year I could, I could actually get behind the Flames and root for the Flames. But having said that, I won't know until I actually watch a Flames game and see who if I if I can root for them or not. Maybe I can't.
1: I already uh, did watch the Flames game and I was rooting for the Jets.
0: <laughs> well, that was different though. Now that the Oilers are out, now that <laughs> yeah, the Oilers are out, okay. it's just because part of me for some reason this year i just feel like i want a canadian team i'm tired
1: tired of fucking time
0: yeah i'm tired of american teams winning so so this is the kind of the tribal aspect that's driving me right now is like yeah i think actually i could like if the flames are playing some american team i think i could get or even the leafs proofs i might be cheering for the leafs tonight against columbus which i would never do normally but i just feel like it's time for a Canadian team to, to do something in the playoffs. And I'm hoping to see that. So, may, but maybe when I'm actually watching, I won't feel that way anymore. And I'll be, my old hatred of those teams will rise up the Canucks go too. Go
1: Chucky, go. How are you with that one, David? Chucky. Magicachuck.
0: Oh. Hey,
1: Ch- the Calgary calls him Chucky and uh, and fans of the team remembering that movie are probably pretty good with that nickname as well. I know I am. <laughs>
0: So Bruce, um, one of the other consequences of the draft is very sick of, of the play in, the play in mm-hmm. round is I think very significant. And so even if the Oilers lose the first overall pick which is likely tonight they're mm-hmm. gonna they, they're, they're gonna move up five six seven eight yep. five six seven eight spots in the draft whatever that turns out to be yep. And for a team that has a great still a big need um, for a top forward. This is super significant because there, there are this draft is a draft absolutely, absolutely rich in top forward prospects. Players who, within maybe not next year, but possibly the year after, because forwards move into the NHL fairly quickly, yes. or not. And this, this is you know, this is what's concerning about a player like Jessepulley yarby who's yet to make it. The good ones usually make make it fairly fast at forward, within two or three years. And, um, that's, I think that's fair to say. And this draft is full of players who have that potential. If you get the right guy, maybe not next year, but the year after that, even at 14, um, or, uh, the year after that, you could have a winger who will be in your top six. So, um, the Oilers are that much more likely to get one of these very, I think there's about 15 of these guys in the draft and the Oilers, um, we're in a probable spot to get one of them, to have one of them fall to them at, at with their drafting 20th. But now they're going to get one of them. They're going to get one of these wingers. And so I I looked at the consensus. Uh, I looked at the 20 people who rate draft picks in the NHL, like kind of public people who do this, like Bob McKenzie and McKeens and um, Edwards and ISS and Corey Prodman. And I just looked at their consensus list of who they have rated so Lafreniere really is the consensus first pick. Yes. Of the 20 people I looked at, uh, 19 of them had uh, Lafreniere in the first spot. The only person who went against that was Cam Robinson, who has him second overall. And my list includes uh, Sean Patrick Ryan, who who rates prospects uh, at the Cult of Hockey and on his own at the Oil Night site. Um, he has Lafreniere at number one. Sean Patrick Ryan has Quinton Byfield at number four. And... And that's the low end for Byfield. ISS also has them at number four, as does Fisher. Um, there's a number of people who have them at four or three. So Byfield isn't the consensus number two pick even. So there's a lot of people who ha- who favor Tim Stoltze. Um, some people like um, Lucas Raymond more than Byfield. Uh, some people like Jamie Drysdale more than Byfield. So there's a bit more of a debate there. I, I think the orders would definitely take. You no, know, Lafreniere is a winger, but yep. on a on a team with McDavid and Drysyle yeah, and Nugent Nuge. Nuge, that's perfect, right? Like the Wingers finally, are what orders
1: need the most is skill on the wings. It's
0: makes a, it's perfect a huge sense.
1: Huge yeah. this team.
0: Yeah. Well, they more. need more skill on defense too. Mm-hmm. But they uh, got
1: that in the system.
0: They have that in the system with Broberg and, and Bouchard. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that's where they stand on the first pick, but. At the fifteenth pick, right. um, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past. There's a number of players who might slide, who who'll, who are probably going to be there. One one of Jack Quinn from Ottawa, Dawson Mercer with I, I can't remember what team he's on right now. He's in the Quebec League. Connor Zary, who's in the Western League, I believe. Seth Jarvis, who's uh, I think he's with Portland. Um. Those are, the, those are the four guys who most come to mind. There's Jan Misak, who some people like. Hendricks Lapierre, Maverick Bork, Roder, Rodion Amarov, a Russian player, no, Nolan Gundler, a Swedish player. We'll see who the, who the Oilers like, but I, I think they're now more likely to get, at, at the higher end, there's these really strong group of CHL forwards, Quinn, Mercer, Zari, and Jarvis, and one of them will be there for the Oilers to take. Now, maybe the Oilers will will think they like a uh, Amarov or Gundler, a European player better. I don't know, but there's some really, really highly touted uh CHL players who are gonna be there. Plus, Bruce, and this is the interesting one, the goalie, Yaroslav Askarov. there's yeah. one goalie yep. who's there as well in the top. And are you saying would-
1: oilers have a need in goal, David?
0: I am saying the Oilers have a definite needing so much so Bruce that I think they might have to trade. They might trade a defenseman for a goalie. Like they could trade a def, like they could make a trade of one of their top four D men for a um, um for a forward for you know for a top six winger. You know some people are su- you know suggesting that the Winnipeg Jets might be a natural trading partner for like a Nikolai Ehlers or you know you trade a Oscar Kleffbaum or a Darnell Nurse. Uh, for Oilers, you know, that I've seen that floated around for years now, honestly, but that might come to fruition, but the Oilers, so, but maybe they, they need to trade uh, uh, one of their, their D-men for a goalie, for an, a kind of an equivalent goalie in the NHL, and I wouldn't be surprised at all. We're going to have to dig into, you know, Ken Holland is used to disappointment, Bruce, but anyway, so what do you think about the, before we get into what the Oilers are going to do again, what do you think of their draft, where they're likely to end up and what they might do?
1: Well, that list of guys you just gave, uh, there, there was a pretty high chance that one or two of them would have uh, dropped all the way down to 20 or 21 or wherever they would have been before. But now there's, ever in fact, I think it's a mathematical certainty that uh, they're going to have a choice of three or four or five of these guys. Yes. So you know, they're just higher up the pecking order and they have a better chance of getting the guy that they've singled out. I mean, obviously, that just puts the onus on Edmonton scouts to get it right. And and get a you know get a real strong player, but picking in the middle of the first round of this draft is uh, not a bad spot to be.
0: It's like picking in the top. It's like picking between five and ten, I think, in most other drafts. In in many other drafts, Bruce, I would say, based on what people are saying about this draft, it seems to be one of these. Especially if you're looking for a forward. Um, If you're looking for a defenseman, I think you're going to be reaching a little bit more. And some teams are going to be in that position, right? You like we've been there where the orders just desperately needed a D-man, right? So there's gonna be some teams drafting between like let's say seven and twenty who are who are they're just gonna be taking a defenseman and uh because they need a defenseman. So um, and there's only a couple that scream kind of top ten pick quality. There's Jake Sanderson and uh um Holloway, what's his name? Jamie or no, Jamie Drysdale, excuse me, Holloway's a forward. So there's two that kind of have top ten uh, pedigree, but other than that, you're you're it seems like a bit of a reach. So, um, yeah, I so I am excited about not about the Oilers losing, but just looking forward now. That's all we can do as fans all and we can do all we can do. I'm excited about this draft position the Oilers are going to get. I hope they get first, but I'm excited about uh, where they are going to draft because there was a chance, a slight chance. That the orders wouldn't get one of the very top prospects and wouldn't get the guy they wanted at twentieth, but they're gonna. I think they're gonna get that guy now for sure. So, Bruce, let's. Do you have any other thoughts? Should we go over to move on to Kurt's column?
1: Uh, no. Let's. Yeah. Let's. Let's move on.
0: So, Kurt wrote a nine things column. When he was. I, I'm a little hesitant to start weighing in on what the orders should do or shouldn't do next year because I just the 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 discipline of the playoffs is so great and the, the I don't want to get recency bias to say oh they gotta do this, they gotta do that, because I think that would be a mistake. That's a mistake right now. Certainly Ken Holland's not gonna do that. He's gonna take some time, take a deep breath, think about things, and 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 come up with a plan. And I think for someone like you know we we try to comment in a fairly serious way, although we're just we're fans, just fans. Uh, who don't have a lot of inside information and, and don't have all the information on who's available in other teams and all just endless things that we don't know, that Ken Holland does know. But I, even in this position, I think it's good to take a breath and think, OK, let's set aside the recent thing and think of the big picture. So I, I, I'm a little hesitant, although we're going to get into that in the next couple of weeks, start doing our own evaluation and start to offer up opinions. But we can do an initial take on things. And Kurt has done that, I think, in a very strong way in his Nine Things column today. The first thing he brought up was the Sam Gagné. One of the things he brought up was Sam Gagné not being on the team and the Oilers missing that rah-rah guy. And we heard this from the announcers in the playoffs that the Chicago bench was much more vocal than the Oilers bench um, during the playoffs. I I heard that from someone. I can't remember who during the but someone who was in the building. I heard that comment. And Kurt's idea was that Gagné was kind of the rah-rah Heart and soul, Matt Hendricks guy on this team, and that they really missed him down the stretch. What's your thought on that, Bruce?
1: Yeah, uh, the comparisons between Sam Gagne and Matt Hendricks are few, but <laughs> the raw, raw aspect, uh, maybe. I mean, uh, Sam was a was a, 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 a team-centered player. I like I like the the uh, mature Gagne that we had early this season. I thought he was decent in his role as a as a fill-in, you know, bottom sixer with some offense. He scored 12 points in 36 games uh, for the Oilers this year. And he was the trading chip used, and the the salary divested in the Andreas Athanasiou trade, where the Oilers traded Gagne and two second-round picks to get um, uh, Athanasiou and, of course, the prospect uh, Kuffner. Uh, Ryan Kufner, but uh, basically from a team perspective, it was Gagne out, Athanasiu in and Athanasiu uh, scored a goal assist in his first game, then he played 12 games without a single point point. and Gagne, you know, his longest scoring drought all year was 7 games and typically every second or third or so game, he would, he would chip in somehow, so that wasn't the upgrade that uh, it was assumed to be in the short term now obviously the jury's out on athnas U in the long term but he produced nothing uh as an oiler uh had some pretty bad luck i think in the final game of the series but uh, he was a pretty spotty contributor and i didn't get the sense that he was a rah-rah guy at all so if that's the aspect that was missing in that sense uh the oilers may have lost you know that part of the trade but um uh, Obviously, I mean, the, the bet was made that Asanasio would help the team in the short term and the long term. And now the fallback is, well, hopefully he'll help in the long term.
0: Yeah. Um, the owners, you know, they, they moved out Gagné to make the make the money work. Well, you know, you brought in Tyler Ennis and Mike, Mike Green as well, right? And if they hadn't brought in those guys, they could probably have held on to Gagné. And Ennis, I thought, was a better player than Gagné. I I think no, that he, was a that was a really good move. Now, no, he has a history of injury problems, right? And that's what floored him in the end again. And that's the risk you're taking with Ennis. But I, I really liked Tyler Ennis' game. I thought he was a very solid addition. Green, I never understood why they traded anything for Mike Green. Um, you know, the argument was, in a long playoff run, you're going to need veteran defensemen. And we could see that with Larson going out, yeah, you know. But they had, I think they just needed to tr- trust... Uh, Caleb Jones and Loggins, and I don't think Gr- Green would have offered more than Caleb Jones as your first pick I'm not sure he would have offered I don't think he would have offered more than Evan Bouchard I think Evan Bouchard is a better player right now than Mike Green so I, I wish they hadn't have done that deal and maybe they could have kept Gagne I don't know like it when uh, Ennis got hurt um, who went in um, uh, Haas oh, Yeah, Haas, Haas was went
1: fun. in for game four Haas was fine and then moved Kyra to the wing
0: so I don't know. Would Gagne, you know, if they hadn't made the Athanasio trade, would Gagne have offered more than Athanasio in the playoffs? Probably he would have, because Athanasio didn't, in the end, do much. He he was a bit snake bitten, but he also kind of fanned on shots and missed the net. And um, I mean, he was fine. Athanasio though was fine. I think I I didn't mind his game when he was on the third line. He had flashes. I just didn't like him at all. Like they're just zero chemistry with Dreisaitl and uh, Yamamoto. Like honestly, so that was part of the part of the issue. He just. To constantly deferred to Drysital and and um, with that never works. Where where a player is deferring, not playing, is not bringing his top game. So,
1: I thought he looked lost at C in game three when he came up to replace Ennis, and I was frankly shocked in game four to see that line still together.
0: I I was yeah. baffled.
1: Yeah, I, I I remain kind of shocked though. For as well as they played, like the depth guys who played well in the playoffs, were the two veteran wingers James Neal and Alex on, and neither of them got a sniff in uh, in in uh, the top six role. And I, I frankly just don't quite get it.
0: Why they weren't moved up to play with McDavid, or one of them wasn't moved up to play with McDavid and Nuge Neal, reunited? Neal,
1: the obvious choice would yeah, be Neal. Yeah, why Neal? Why
0: Spartan Neal wasn't? Yeah, put Neal well and Cassian. With McDavid in that last game and reunite the dynamite line, why that didn't happen? Mm -hmm. uh, That's just madness. Like, that's Mm -hmm. just that's a major coaching error. And you know, coaches I think have nine lives. Bruce and Tippett in that series probably used about three of his. He hadn't used up any of his nine lives before then, but he's used up three um, Mm -hmm. at this point. That's my that's my take on that. Uh, so let's. Kurt's also. Coaches
1: uh, now they have more. They, they they don't have nine lives. They have, they have three lives. I mean, let's face it. They none of them last long. I I always remember the great um, uh, joke that uh, Harry Neal told, and I don't know if it was his originally about the three envelopes. Did you ever hear that, uh, well, la- line where the new coach comes in and takes over from the old coach, and the old coach says there's three envelopes in my office drawer. When you really get into trouble, pull out one of them and and, uh, use it. So, of course, eventually the team gets into trouble and he pulls out the first envelope and he opens it. And all it says is, is, blame the media. And then a little later he gets into the uh, second one and he opens the second envelope and it says, blame me, meaning the old coach who lays some of the crap on him. And then the third time they get into trouble, he opens the third envelope and all it says is, Prepare three envelopes. <laughs> 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 but Harry, Harry Neal told it with much oh, more, God. you know, Harry Neal's uh, he was, legendary he was, sense of humor. He, I, he, I, I just remember roaring when I hear, heard that. He was talking about some coach who was in trouble. Uh,
0: Harry Neal was the Will Ferrell of NHL coaches. He's totally deadpan uh, yeah. comic. Um, yeah, that's, that's a good one. I, I uh, yeah. Tippett had a very strong season. He, you know, there was so much that went well. He really opened up this team in terms of uh, attacking up the middle of the ice. And, um, and, hey, but and did we see that in the playoff no, series? No, because they we couldn't see get it any together, of those Ruth.
1: central release passes. Like no. we, they were common all season long. I, I honestly don't, didn't notice it once.
0: In no, it, it was, they, so it was sort of it.
1: obvious. Oh wow, well, they passed it where they don't usually pass it. Kind well, of they game. gave it
0: away. Clefbaum gave it away, like right up in the middle of the slot once, trying that pass, or a couple times, honestly. So they, there was a they they made the attempt, but I just think the team this team was was out of sync more than more than the other team due to the layoff, and I ex- I had expected the other thing, but I had feared that that was, that it wouldn't be the case. But they, you're right that that great thing, and it's you know, I think when you have this is the difference between having Caleb Jones in the lineup or not is he 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 will look for that pass and he'll make that pass but Chris Russell on his off wing can't he can't make that pass on his backhand and he won't and i love Chris Russell as a hockey player in so many ways but he having him on his off side in the top four was a was a was another really brutal killer fa- factor in this series he can't make he can't make the easily breakout pass he just can't because he's on the wrong side. And Tippett knew that all year long, but he didn't have... He wasn't going to go with Bouchard, right? He wasn't going to go with the... He wasn't going to promote Benning and put in Bouchard into the lineup because he wasn't ready to do that. Um, maybe he should have. I don't know. I didn't say so at the time, so I'm not going to say so now. But I can say... You know, I, I was hoping when, when Larson went out that... I, I thought the right move, and I did, think I did say this at the time, was moving up Benning. Um, to play with bomb mm-hmm. and putting Jones and Russell together with Jones on his offside, because Jones can, Jones Caleb Jones on the right, playing his off wing can make that dynamic pass out of his own zone. So, anyway, um, the next thing on our list is um, the goalie situation that Kurt refers to, and he he says, Kurt writes, "quote I have a lot of time for Smith, but it." Age 38, one wonders if he isn't done. And Mikko Koskinen, Koskinen was never better than just okay after that. It made the terrible blunder on too many men, calling the decisive game four. Plus, he let in that that game, the, the the game-winning goal, which was a which is a bit of a stinker. That's my own interjection. Kurt goes on to say, "Can you really send Dave Tippett into a new season with the same pair of goalies? What is the de- definition of insanity again?" Unquote. Go ahead, Bruce. What do you think?
1: Well, the goaltending was adequate through the season, uh, but not in the playoffs. Uh, You know, I think their goaltending let them down in the series. I mean, holy crap, they let in 16 goals, Dave, in four games. And it wasn't like they were getting pounded with shots, because other than game one, they really weren't. Uh, And they're, uh, um, you know, they they have... uh, uh, easy ability to move on the second goalie because Mike Smith's contract has expired and Koskinen's case, he's got two years to run. So the default position is Koskinen is is in and Smith is out unless they bring him back. So unless they find a way to trade Koskinen, uh, which probably, I mean, no, they're not, there would be salary cap issues and I don't know how much market there would be for the guy, frankly. So I just think that they're likely going to be looking at a, at a, going in a different direction for number two and either all right up to the end of the season. I thought they're going to bring Smith back and, and maybe they still will, but I would say the odds of that just shifted dramatically against the likelihood of that happening.
0: Well, and this depends on the market, right? Can they right. get someone better? Here's what I think that the, the tippet, I thought was going to go back to Smith in game four, just because yeah. he had gone with, like he had gone, that was his first choice. So in yep. the game where he had to win, I thought he would yeah, do I that. Too. Um, I, I think actually he made the right choice in going with Koskinen. I think Koskinen is the better of the two goalies, mm-hmm. and um, you know the, the job of the goalie in the playoffs is first of all like like you want your goalie to steal a game. That that's that's great, but if that doesn't happen, you can't have your goalie lose a game. And I would say that Koskinen lost them game four as much as anyone. You just can't have that goal go in in the third period that weak goal. Uh, mediocre sh- mediocre goal in the third period goal right through you you cannot have that and um the other the other third period goals were just totally freaking weird goals that got by him in, in game 3 so i don't hold those then there was lots those of those,
1: those those weren't really on the goalie they were both mid-air deflections right in front of him
0: yeah it's but, hard f- the, the, you know that's hard for a goalie to stop so i don't know I, I do think the Oilers need to shake up their goalie position at this point and and i i th- I was thinking they'd probably bring back Smith, too, but I always held out, well, let's see how they do in the playoffs because that really oh. defines. So it's, it's it's hard to define Mike Smith's season on, mm-hmm. what was that, two periods? How, how many? Yeah,
1: period and a half, yeah. Well, yeah. you talk about rah-rah guys, he was one of them. Yeah. But where he was put in to start the series, I think, you know, for the veteran presence and leadership and all this kind of stuff, what you don't expect is for him to be gifting goals to the other team and being as shaky as he was. So that really sort of put pay to that. And I think that that will, will put a different lens on how the organization thinks about bringing him back.
0: Yeah. See, that was one of Tippett's nine lives, I think, that decision. And then the Dynamite line being another, and then just the overall performance of the team in the playoffs being the third. And I do think they have, like, I'm sticking to my nine lives theory for an NHL coach. You can make nine big mistakes and wow. it's on the ninth one that you get usually you get canned. That's the way it was with McClellan, um, yeah. is what I is what I'll argue. Right. Um so Tippett still has a long ways to go as the Oilers' coach. He's oh, yeah. got lots of good he's got lots of good will from me and from other fans as well. Like I, I think he, he'll he'll I'm I'm hopeful and I expect that he'll get it right. Uh you know, I was a little bit his post game commentary left me a little bit cold too, Bruce, because there was a fair there was, you know, criticism of the team and the team's performance, but I never saw him take anything on himself. Maybe that would be inappropriate for a leader to do that. I don't know. Like, Not but owned I, some of it. Yeah, I think I think he could have owned a little bit of it. Like, and I don't know if he did in the end. I even I haven't watched the post game interviews. Because I, I didn't have go. the heart
1: to even watch him. I mean, we were yeah. doing the podcast at the time that it was happening, and usually after a podcast, I go back and and hear what, especially what the coach had to say. I understand he unloaded on Koskinen a little bit, which is uh, not necessarily the best thing either. You know, partly the coach's job is to have his players' backs to some degree. But, I mean, I I understand him being like, you could see on the bench how enraged he was by by that too many men penalty. He was barely keeping it
0: Oh, he unloaded on him for that.
1: Yeah, apparently so, yeah. Oh, fair
0: enough. Hey, if it's a mental mistake on Koskinen, I say fair enough. I didn't, again, I haven't seen that. If it was for the goal... You know, it's one thing for us as the fans to express a disappointment that a goalie missed a shot that he probably should have saved. But for the coach, I mean, that's a little... I, but if it's for the too many men, I I, I don't blame the coach. I would be
1: totally... Oh, he, was li- he was livid at the time. You could just see it. I mean, I've never seen him look like he was ready to, to have his own head explode as he did in that, in that sequence while they were figuring out what had gone wrong and how they were going to be shorthanded for the rest of the season. It,
0: it comes to every coach... Every Oilers coach sooner or later, unless your name is Glenn Sather, who I never saw. Uh, he always wanted to make other people suffer, not him. So, And he did a good job of it, I have to have to mm-hmm. say. Let's go to Kurt's third third thing, Bruce. And he's talking about third three, three-line center. And there was a time when it looked like the Oilers would re-sign Riley Shea and during the regular season, just like they did with Zach Cassian, I I think something that Ken Holland probably wishes he had just waited till the end of the year. At this point, but that's let's not get into Multiple that. Multiple
1: right. reasons,
0: yeah. But Shane is a decision that has to be made. Cassian's done, so um, we will talk about that in the future. But Shein, um he was part of a fairly strong penalty kill after Game One, and um, but he made a t- he he. You know he made a gaff, as Kurt points out, on a big goal in Game Three, and really was. I know the puck was hard coming around, but you got to make that play. This is the NHL; you got to make that play. You can't cough up the puck. That's the that's him and Cassian on that goal against. Like there's some moments that there's some moments that years later go through your mind about a playoff series. You, I forget most of it, unlike you. I forget most of it, but some things stick out in my head, and that is one. It's going to be that. Puck Russell skittering
1: off his skate right into the middle of the ice.
0: Yeah. yeah, Russell Russell tipping in the puck on the first goal against, um, in game uh, four. There'll be Bear, you know, and it, it was either Nurse or Dry who should have covered, helped Bear out in front of the net on that Taves goal at the end of the game. But one of them screwed up, I don't know who it was. There's drysettle screwing up on the last goal, too, with Koskinen. Like, he, he had a chance to stop that pass. So, takes, take, either take the man or stop the pass. He didn't either. <sighs> anyway, there's Riley Sheehan's mistake get, to get back to this. What do you think? Do you think he'll be back, Bruce?
1: Uh, I think it's uh, probably 40-60. The, the, you know, I think Kurt makes a good point that, they, you know, they have other options. And, I mean, what we saw from Gaten Haas in, uh, in game four as a player that's a player i want to see more of i thought he was like he was actually skating like with the puck and the other team's end of the ice and stuff right yes uh, shane yes. we didn't see a whole lot of that like i'm pretty sure he got zero points for the series and uh, yeah haas and his limited bit of ice time in game four where are we now gayton nine minutes and 30 seconds during which time edmonton outshot chicago eight to zero
0: and he so, was in on a great. You know, a scoring were carrying
1: the play. They were carrying the play. And, you know, you don't necessarily expect them to score, but if you, you know, over time, you're going to get your points. And Shane got a few points, and he was good on the penalty kill. So that's the, the other question is, how do you replace that? He was good on the face-off. How do you replace that? So uh, I don't think they have internal solutions uh, at, at the minor league level necessarily. So they either have to go out and sign someone else, or they commit to Haas and... Kara um, has three and four or, you know, but there is going to be uh, players on the market. And maybe there's a, a better fit than uh, Riley Shane next year. If they do sign him, uh, it'll be a one-year deal and it won't be at Sheehan's asking price, I don't think. So they, they may well part company.
0: I think they could bring him back on the same contract. Mm-hmm. Might be a possibility. I really like I, I really like Han Haas' performance in that Game 4.
1: Yeah, he's
0: one of the players that was getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. I think he's a really smart defensive player, Bruce. I noticed that all year long. Yes. He's on the right side of the guy in his defensive on. He's always
1: I, on the right side of the puck. Always. Yeah. really good at that.
0: Unlike every other Euler center, <laughs> especially the top two centers who had defensive breakdowns all series long, McDavid and Dreisaitl. Uh, I mean, Shane doesn't tend to have defensive breakdowns. Kara does have have them. Uh, now and then but he Haas I like his defensive play a lot and um, I could see him as a. you know it, it's going to depend what Tippett thinks of him and what Holland's made the assessment I think Shane uh, if there was a contract offer in February should have taken it <laughs> probably because I, he's not going to get a get a raise and they they might just make the decision actually to move on from him but they also might decide they want, if, if he'll sign for the same amount on a one-year deal, they'll give him another year because he did have a good regular season. And this is one of those decisions where recency bias comes into play. Here I am, so focused on one little play, a tough right. play along the board. And this is one of those where you need to like, okay, calm, calm the heck down and uh, and think, okay, what are the options? You know, is Kara, is his contract not up? Jujar's? Oh, he
1: signed a two-year deal with Holland last summer on July 1st.
0: Okay, so he's back. You have someone who can be a fourth-line center. I I have never liked the line with Kara and Shea on the same line. It's just slow as heck. And again, when I saw that line going into Game 4, that same line that had never worked all year long, Kara and Sheehan together,
1: like, frack.
0: Okay. Those lines, Bruce, were terrible. And... And I resisted making a tweet before the game, thinking, well, maybe I'll be wrong, first of all. But I just, and I just, I just thought, ah, like, I'm just not going to put out that negative energy at that moment. Maybe I'll be proven wrong and I can just shut up about it for the rest of my life.
1: But well, full disclosure during the games, um, when David's tracking the scoring chances, uh, we have a doc, and I'm editing them and reviewing them. We have a document on the go with sort of real time chit chat in it. And- one of the very early entries in the first period was David saying, "I hate tips lines." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah so, I didn't want I, to put out that negativity. I was feeling your pain as can tell <laughs> <that out. laughs>
0: So easy to be negative, and and then also it's so easy to be wrong, and maybe to, you well, know. It's, have yeah. to eat so your
1: I, words. That's that's always fun. Yeah.
0: But I, I had been complaining about the lines all along up until then. So I thought, why be yep. n- again? Like maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Anyway. Uh, so, Shane, yeah. All right. Well, the
1: bottom the bottom six, I mean, there are people saying the bottom six is not adequate. Well, uh, of the guys that um, Holland brought in, I mean, first of all, he re-signed Chase Son and Kara to two years. So they're under contract. Of the guys that he brought in, he re-signed Haas to a one-year extension. He re-signed Negard to a one-year extension. So even though they didn't play much in this series, not at all, in Negard's case, they're both... On the roster for next year, uh, he did sign uh, Josh Archibald to a two-year extension, and who was the fourth guy anyway? He kept he, he's he's locked up a few guys, so if you're looking at making changes, well, one way to make changes is not to sign the guys who are still outstanding, like Riley Sheehan and Mike Smith, and uh, and find different players and change the mix by by doing it that way and. So I suspect that the guys who haven't signed already, um, uh, because of the result of the playoffs, they're now, are now are just less likely to be coming back than I had pre- previously surmised.
0: Yeah. What does Scotty Bowman say? Team, a team has got to change, and, and this safer, team, too. this team has got to change. They got it. They've got to make. Listen, of their top four defensemen. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's, let's say the top five, including Chris Russell, mm-hmm. I think they need to move out two of those guys, mm-hmm. probably. And But this is – anyway, I'm, I shouldn't get into this because I'm, I'm overreacting.
1: I've got, got all summer and fall
0: to talk about this, David. We do, Bruce, we do. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not going to – just as a general thing, that's – listen, uh-huh. just because they need to make – they need to make room for Caleb Jones mm-hmm. and they need to make room for Evan Bouchard. So if Caleb Jones wasn't in your top six to start the playoffs, and neither was Evan Bouchard, both mm-hmm. those players need to play next year. So they got, I think, I would say this before the, before the playoffs started, and it's definitely been cemented by these playoffs, they meet, need to be, move out two of the six players who were on their playoff roster to start. And, I, and, and I'm not going to say who they are, because that takes right. more thinking. Right. But
1: and, and Matt a, Benning is the other guy that you know, started right. the series in the top six, and his contract has expired. Well, yeah. that said, I thought Matt Benning was fine in this series.
0: He was really good. I, uh, I don't have a whole lot of complaints about Matt Benning's play, including in game four. I thought he was uh, strong. So he gets the puck on net, too. Like one, if, if, That's what I'm looking for. Because this this decor was a bit better until they moved Russell to the off wing. This, this group of players was a bit better moving the puck than in previous years because of the change in strategy, too, of using the middle of the ice. That really helped. But they were, as a group, pretty abysmal at getting pucks on net and you know um that's got to change so that's one of the things you're going to be looking at in terms of who's who should move out and who should stay uh Bruce Kurt's position is that um Larson should be the guy to go I'll just find what Kurt says here let me just look for it where is which point is it on his list uh Maybe it's the last point, which is why I can't find it. I'm still scrolling down. Yeah, it's uh, the last. His big point is Adam Larson. And what he writes is, quote, I would personally move on from Adam Larson. I admire Larson, and I know his teammates do too. But I hope that Ken Holland reminds himself that it wasn't him that made the Taylor Hall deal. The cold, hard fact is that Larson is a traditional shutdown D-man in a puck-moving era. He also has a bad back, seems to flare up at the absolute worst times. And while it pains me to say this on a couple of levels, Larson has not been close to the same player since 2016-17. And at 27, he's probably not gonna get a lot better." Unquote. Bruce, I would disagree with one only one part of that. Mm-hmm. Larson did play really well. Mm -hmm. by a broad consensus of fans. And I, and I had been saying, you got to trade Larson earlier this year. I had been making that argument. So I completely get all of that thinking, but he, he surprised me with how well he played in the final two months of the season. Mm -hmm. By the end of the year, by the end of the regular season, he was playing as well as any Oilers defenseman. And if it was his back that was holding him back, that's one of those recency bias things that I think you have to, that we all have to take a step back for a second, at least, and think, Is he going to be one of the two um, who get moved out of that group of players? And and I would say anyone but but Ethan Bear is on my list of players in that group who could be be moved out in the right deal. That's what I'm saying. I'm just not sure who it should be because Caleb Jones plays the left side. Larson's on the right side, and they still have a hole on the right side. So to me, maybe Nurse or Kleffbaum are more likely. What are you thinking?
1: Well, they're also looking for a spot to put Evan Bouchard. Now that isn't necessarily yes. in the top four, but uh, I mean Jones. Jones does have the capacity to, to to flip back and forth. I mean Larson. Do we know for sure that it was his his wonky back that put him out for the playoffs?
0: Like
1: I never you know, heard any official yeah uh, injury thing, but maybe they put, like say I I was so up, put off hockey yesterday. I didn't follow through on the kind of
0: yeah
1: stuff. The season's over right now. Yeah, but. But there's information out there that will get caught up on us to, uh, or maybe there's no information because uh, you know he was unfit to play is all we know. But his his back has been problematic in the past with the style he plays, and with the speed he goes, even when he's at full speed, to you know to lose a half a step for that guy is can be fatal. So, I uh, I certainly don't think he is invulnerable from being moved at this point. He's got one year to go, and then. Uh, 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 they, as you say, if they're going to change up the defense, you got to you got to find somebody to move out, uh, find a way to move them out. I do think there'd be a market for Adam Larson. I don't think they'd get Taylor Hall for him, but uh, I think they'd get an NHL player.
0: They can get Taylor Hall as a UFA if they can afford him. <laughs> um, which is a possibility, right? There's a possibility. If you move out enough money... If you
1: I'll say non, non-zero. Money. Non-zero
0: chance, yeah. If you, you know... I don't think it's like, I think it's the likelihood is, is very small, but there's a now Arizona's winning in the playoffs, right? So, um, yep. last time I checked, so who knows? Yeah. Maybe he'll they stay won there. their
1: series, and they're not going to get the first overall pick. Because, so, the Taylor Hall curse or blessing or whatever it is is uh, not going to extend into the 2020s.
0: Bruce, there's one thing I want to just finish up on, and this is the okay. NHL's uh media policy, um, of not allowing. Uh, beat reporters like Ryan Orschag, Mark Spector, Jim Matheson into the into the bubble, even to cover practices like from a distance. Like, and Bruce, man, did we ever miss that? Did I ever miss that personally during this this first round of the playoffs? We got zero information from the team itself. I was thinking the team and you know people right. allowed in might step up and then provide us with lines, but we didn't we didn't hear their lines. We didn't Tippett wouldn't tell us their lines. I don't know what. Like, were the Blackhawks banned from his practice? Wouldn't the Blackhawks be able to go and watch the practice? And maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. But I just found that to be, like, from a fan perspective, part of the fun of being a fan is talking about the lines before the game, not a minute before the game, but debating it all day, knowing what they're going to be. And that totally sucked, uh, not having that information, that bit of information which the regular beat reporters provide so the NHL's bubble in that way has been just a, a stinker. That's a stinker media policy, and uh, I hated it. Uh, hated it more as the series went along, and um, they should change that as, as these playoffs go along. They should allow fans in other cities. They can maybe they need maybe they're still working out the wrinkles, and they don't. I understand they don't want COVID to spread, but you can't. I can't see a way that you can't have three or four reporters ushered into the arena by somebody into the into that zone and, and isolated, because they're going to the games, are they not? Like, they're up in the press box for the games, are they not?
1: Yeah, and they were there throughout phase three, so I, I don't understand it. And I share your your um, antipathy towards, the, you know, the utter lack of information. I mean, I wrote two game day posts in the series, and both times I was writing with zero idea of what the actual lineup was going to be. And both times I guessed and guessed wrong because you know you just didn't have any information. Like they didn't say who's in the frickin' starters' net before the game, let alone you know that Adam Larson might have an issue or you know uh, or what have you. That the, that the uh, you know, they don't have all the players available, so it was uh, it was pretty pretty difficult to do. What's normally pretty routine stuff, right? You get the game day skate. You find out who's rushing with who, and and so on. A little bit of scuttlebutt about who might be uh, uh, who might be uh, the extra guy in practice, or you know, took the morning off or what have you. There was none of it. And it was frustrating.
0: Maybe you know, and the, well, people could say, well, you're just like the mainstream reporters complaining. You just you know, you want to write your posts off this information, but we're we're fans like we're also fans here and i think oh, yeah, a lot of, of fans were missing i, mean, from, oh, I think know we're this speaking
1: stuff that's why we write it, is for the other fans like us who want to know yeah. this stuff so i think
0: that we're we're just we're i think that most fans are going to be on board here whereas they at first there wasn't much of a fan reaction to this i bet you now that there's going to be lots of pissed off fans about this particular issue that came up and um as the playoffs go on if they keep it up it's, there's going to be even more because it's kind of ridiculous honestly and i thought i thought well the team is going to step up and provide us with this information. They'll just they'll just give. But they didn't. There's a total... Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to say it's a failure of team media, like of the Oilers Media Network, because they're corporate media. They, they are the team. This is what is expected from organizations, if they can hide information or not report information or do it incompetently because they're a big bureaucracy and they don't, they're not, their primary interest isn't the fans, they're going to have all kinds of reasons for not getting it right. It's only with competition and opening things up and transparency that you, that a system works. And this system failed the fans um, and is going to continue to fail the fans until they change that policy. So,
1: Yeah, well, uh, goodness knows we're far enough removed as fans, I mean, when you also remove the, you know, the independent media, where it's just that extra layer between the, uh, uh, the fans and the game, like, you know, we, we're, we're in some ways presenting these games in an antiseptic environment, well, you know, it, it, there's a certain amount of immediacy that's missing altogether. Yeah. Other ways, in other ways, there's new ways of immediacy that we don't normally have because we can hear things that you don't normally hear during games because of crowd noise and so on. But uh, a little bit, there, there was a lot of things that, uh, uh you know, just just seem removed.
0: You couldn't hear the player, like for all the talk of worry about a player swearing no. or saying something, like you couldn't really, it was a big blur. They edited out
1: some stuff, no doubt, because they yeah. had a second delay, but.
0: Maybe that maybe that's it. Maybe they cut out all this stuff, but I couldn't hear like I couldn't hear a whole lot of like, you know, during regular broadcasts, you can hear them yell wheel, wheel, wheel or, you know, stuff like that. And you didn't I didn't hear any more of that. I think I heard less of it. Like it seemed to me more of a, a, a like a blur, the whole mix of the sound and the game. So in some ways there was less uh, than you get with a live crowd, uh, maybe because it was on the five second delay. It was sanitized. I don't know. But even just regular normal things that you the players shout at each other. Uh, like, time, 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 or wheel, wheel, like, again, didn't hear it very much. So, should we leave you it
1: there? heard, heard uh, the bench's reaction was a little more obvious to things like hits and block yes. shots. The whole bench erupts good. at once, uh, and, of course, in a crowd situation, uh, it's hard to filter that out above the crowd noise. And in this, it was pretty obvious which bench was probably doing the yelling, but it was... Uh, the whole thing is just kind of surreal, isn't it? <sighs> yeah. I don't All right. It's normal is here we are out of the playoffs again for the 13th time in 14 years.
0: Did So did this, does this officially count that they made the playoffs, Bruce, or not?
1: Well, like how does... what they're saying is, you know, now the playoffs are starting with 16 teams. So it's kind of a.
0: The stats count yeah. as playoff stats, don't they? Yeah,
1: yeah, they do. They do, and uh, you know, so it's kind it's playoff of playoff
0: wins and losses on the coach's yeah. record, correct?
1: Yeah, I believe so. So it's kind of the second season, but it's it kind of this extra layer that's normally not there, and we're still not quite sure how they're. I'm, I mean, we're in the draft lottery. We must have missed the playoffs, right?
0: I'm going to go with the Oilers made the playoffs, just because. And made,
1: got in the draft lottery. And got
0: in the draft lottery. I'm going to go with the win-win, Bruce. <laughs> I'm going to go with the win-win on this one, because I, I feel they made the playoffs. Off hopefully the
1: win win-win-win, and they win yeah, the draft.
0: now you're talking. Now you're talking <laughs> like an Oilers fan. <laughs> but yeah. on our rally caps. All right, thanks, Bruce. Thanks for talking. All
1: right, yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone.
0: And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.